be aware that invisible disabilities are actually the majority and we tend to focus on what we can see. So someone may present differently However, in every other way, you think, oh, I don't see anything different about them from the mainstream population. However, they're communicating differently. Don't think the difference bad just because it's not what you're familiar with. Free to Grow in Forestry, a podcast working to move forestry forward. Canadian Institute of Forestry and the Center for Social Intelligence proudly present the Free to Grow in Forestry podcast. The Free to Grow in Forestry initiative was launched to create a diverse and inclusive workplace culture where all Canadians feel they belong. We believe strongly that inclusive cultures not only strengthen our Canadian forest sector economy, but also create resilient and healthy communities. This podcast seeks out guests from all aspects of the forest sector, from the C-suite to every part of the underrepresented communities, to open up the dialogue on issues of concern and points of view so that everyone has greater knowledge and understanding of each other. By unearthing these discussions, we hope to stimulate greater empathy and respect for all people, opening up the forest sector to be more welcoming and accepting of everyone. For our ninth episode, we are pleased to be joined by our host, Kelly Cooper, founder and CEO of the Center for Social Intelligence, and our guest, Wanda Deschamps, founder and principal at Liberty Co. As a champion for inclusion, Wanda discusses disability employment and the importance to increase the participation level of the neurodiverse population in the workforce, with a special emphasis on autism due to Wanda's own diagnosis at midlife. This session was recorded live on January 18, 2022. Welcome, everyone. It's Kelly Cooper here, your host for Free to Grow in Forestry podcast. And I'm very excited to be starting our new year with Wanda Deschamps, who is the founder and principal of Liberty Co., a consultancy working to increase the participation level of the neurodiverse population in the workforce. And I'm very interested to hear what Wanda has to say today and to educate myself and I'm sure others as we go through this conversation. So welcome, Wanda. Thank you, Kelly. Thanks for having me. So how about we start, Wanda, with you letting us know a little bit more about yourself and what your organization does? Sure. Well, you just gave a very kind introduction. So hopefully that's a good start for our listeners. And I guess one thing I'd like to add right away is the reason I do this, and that is because of my own diagnosis of autism at midlife. So I was diagnosed as autistic a month before my 47th birthday. My diagnosis followed that of our younger son by only two months. He was diagnosed the same year. Our older son had been diagnosed a few years prior to that. So I have a very personal connection and my own lived experience. And then in terms of more about what Liberty Co. does. So I have the good fortune now of saying I've worked with private sector organizations, public sector organizations, not-for-profits, and it is to help increase the participation level of the neurodiverse population in the workforce with a special emphasis on autism for reasons that I'm sure our listeners now understand. And I am trying to reverse this unfortunate reality and try to help do that because the majority of the neurodiverse population is either unemployed or underemployed. 
And that mirrors the disability community widely. And I realize not everyone who is neurodiverse recognizes themselves as a member of the disability population. I do. However, not everyone does. But for the sake of understanding and setting context, my motivation is really around that workforce piece because the majority of the neurodiverse population is left behind. And it's really unfortunate. It's really unnecessary. And frankly, it's a huge burden because... Unemployment costs, it costs the individual and it costs our society. And it is unnecessary because we have lots of skills and talents to offer. And those who are working show that they demonstrate that like the disability community widely, we still have a long way to go in ensuring, as I say, that we reverse the unfortunate picture that we're in right now, but we can do it and opportunities to chat about it are, are a great platform. So thanks again. Yeah, well, I'm very interested in this concept of neurodiversity. And I remember when I saw you first, it was on LinkedIn, I believe, and you were posting some very interesting things. And I was like, wow, that is very interesting. I hadn't heard about that. So maybe for the sake of all of our listeners, you can help us with explaining this concept of neurodiversity, because I even talk about it, telling people today, I'm going to be doing this great interview with someone who's going to explain neurodiversity. They're like, what is that? Never heard of it. So can you just explain it and break it down for us, what that means and, and who that includes? Sure. So neurodiversity is a term that was coined by Australian sociologist Judy Singer in the 90s. So it's relatively new. So go easy on yourself for not having heard of it. And, you know, in terms of chatting with people earlier today, and they say they haven't heard of it. So many people haven't heard of it. And they're just learning now. So coined by Judy Singer, and it refers to differences in human brain makeups. And it's a positive encapsulation, moving away from that medical model that neurodiversity is something to be cured. So this occurs because of naturally different, differing realities in terms of brain makeups. I have a different brain makeup from my neurotypical peers. Doesn't mean that I'm worse. Doesn't mean that I'm better. It is what it is. And how does this present? Well, in conditions like autism, ADHD, dyslexia, perhaps those are some of the better known conditioners for those who are familiar, and then perhaps not as well known dyspraxia, dyscalculia, and these all fall on the spectrum of neurodiversity. And so to get right down to it, what does this mean? Well, it is a really long spectrum. So it's difficult, not only in one interview, but frankly, in one research paper or in any one opportunity to share exactly what neurodiversity is or how it presents. However, I can say that it presents most often in differences in communication and interpersonal relations. And I can say that that it certainly presents that way in, in me. And uh, it's actually been a challenge and it's been a challenge for many reasons, including I didn't know that I was a member of the neurodiverse population. So I knew I was different, but I didn't know why. And so these differences I viewed in a pejorative manner uh, because of the reactions that I received from other people. So this is really a part of the motivation of why I'm doing what I'm doing is I want it to be viewed more as a positive. There's so much more I could say, Kelly. I hope that's helpful. Yeah, no, it's very helpful. Are you able to give us an example, like when you sort of re realizing yourself that, well, hey, I think there's something different here from how I communicate, because I think an example will give clarity for everyone. Yes. So I'm very direct in my communication and I've learned to soften 
my approach, I had to, because I was coming across with too much force, with too much pressure in my communication. I was pushing too hard. I guess what I'd want people to understand is that A, I I wasn't aware in a lot of cases. B, I had good intention. I saw it as being truthful and honest and straightforward. Hopefully that gives some insight into how these kind of misunderstandings occur. Because you don't know how you're coming Mm -hmm. across. And Mm -hmm. on the inside, you feel like you're doing something that's good. You're being honest and you're being open. But I wasn't aware. I wasn't aware of how I was coming across. And I would say more importantly, I wasn't aware fully of the impact that I was having on others. And then I started to become more aware. And these are some examples. And these are some of the reasons that these misunderstandings and then these these miscommunications take place. And it's also, I hope, helpful for people to see that when someone gets feedback and they get feedback in the proper way, constructive, positive feedback, what a difference it can make. And it it lead to a greater understanding for everyone. So for the person involved, when I say me, the main person involved, and then for others as well. So if you're on a team and you don't realize the impact you have and the impact that it's having on other team members, you know, once you come to that realization, what a difference it can make for everyone. So that lends another question right to top of mind for me, which is how do you give constructive feedback? Well, starting from a place that you care about the person. And I know that's that's making an assumption. However, if you're going to give feedback, I say, and you want it to be constructive, you do have to care about the person. If you're only going to come from a place of being harsh and critical and cornering the person, putting them on the defensive, maybe you're not the right person. So seek to understand as opposed to, I don't know. Come from a place of understanding of Mm -hmm. empathy Mm -hmm. and compassion. And what happened was I didn't have those people always. I had some of them in my life and I have always had good people. However, I wasn't understanding. And I started moving around at middle age and I was in these new environments. And it's different when you grow up and you're in one place and you stay in that place and you're around people who've known you for a long time. They generally do take you in good faith. However, I started moving around and in the workplace, I started entering the most senior positions of my career. And so there was less forgiveness in terms of not being self-aware and not having understanding of how you're coming across. So then what happened was I started getting feedback from some more compassionate, empathetic individuals. And that was really the turning point when I realized there's some really good people who see me as a good person. They also see the other side of the equation. They see how I'm coming across and maybe I'm not coming across in the best way. Maybe I'm hurting some other people. And they wanted to be a bridge and bring those together. And that's really when good things start to happen. Of course, getting my diagnosis is also a huge factor there. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting because I can hear um, there's almost a responsibility from others to be able to give feedback in a constructive manner, but there's also the responsibility of the individual to have greater self-awareness and to be um, open to receiving that feedback. And through that communication, you know, a new path can be forged of working better together. Well, that raises another question I have for you. On your website, it speaks about how neurodiversity is a workforce asset. How is it an asset? And what should people be looking out for when hiring someone who identifies as neurodiverse? 
Well, it's an asset in many ways. And and this is another reason why we need to move from judgment and from something that it's to be cured and to be to recognize neurodiversity for what it is and that it's a difference and differences are strengths because when you have everyone the same, when you have a homogeneous group, whether it's a work team or whether it's a group in the community, you know, people think the same way, well, maybe you won't come up with some really different innovative ideas. So it's an asset because we think differently. So to take it right back to Judy Singer and say, you know, those differences in human brain makeups, it means that our brains are different. It means that we function differently. It means that sometimes we can see things that other people can't see, or we see things differently. And so to give some real examples, problem solving, uh, pattern recognition, uh, creativity, when it comes to communications, or when it just comes to different ways of thinking, maybe in terms of even populating a team or forming a team, those differences, which can cause conflict because we present different ways, we come across in different ways, which may be different from other what other people are accustomed to, turn them on their heads and think of them as strengths, because then maybe that neurodiverse individual comes up with a solution that might not be thought of or might be overlooked because you have a team that's thinking more in uh, more in the same way. ways. Yeah. So what should you look for? Well, I say first and foremost, think of neurodiversity as another aspect of diversity. So because of the resurgence of Black Lives Matter, because of the increased emphasis on Indigenous reconciliation, because of increased awareness around the importance of gender equity and equality around sexual orientation and religion and all these facets of diversity, think of neurodiversity as part of that. Even though you can't see it, you don't see my different brain makeup. If I was of a different race, that might be visible, but you don't see my different brain. I can guarantee that it's there. So thinking of it along that spectrum of diversity, along with those various facets and celebrating it for what it is. And then there's a lot of practical tips I can offer right from building neurodiversity into job descriptions. So with, we welcome applications and we celebrate and recognize diversity, mention your diversity in job applications, offer accommodations throughout the process as you would for any person with a disability. However, again, be aware that invisible disabilities are actually the majority and we tend to focus on what we can see. So someone may present differently However, in every other way, you think, oh, I don't see anything different about them from the mainstream population. However, they're communicating differently. Don't think the difference bad just because it's not what you're familiar with. So those are some things to keep in mind in terms of why it's an asset and things to consider when recruiting talent. But obviously, there's a lot more that that can be shared. I hope those points are helpful. Very much so. Yeah, that's great. Um, are there any challenges to dealing with people who are neurodiverse? Um, yes. Like, yeah, like I'd be interested <laughs> yes. to know tips there, that you could share that yeah. can help people with interacting with neurodiverse people. Like, Yeah, the reason I so, paused is yeah. because, you know, at the top, I think I've been really open about mm-hmm. some of my own challenges. Um, the number one thing you can do is suspend your judgments. And I know it may sound so simplistic. Sometimes the simplest things are the hardest things to do because they're so embedded in our day-to-day activity. 
again, it's going back to this person's different. They're different from me. Different isn't necessarily bad. If I could suspend my judgment and think they're coming across this way, you know, but they might still have really good intentions. A big piece when it comes to neurodiversity is suspending judgments around gender and preconceived ideas around gender. So to make this real, so something that I noticed is that I would get the feedback that I was very direct and, and straightforward. And I understand that I was overly so. In, in some ways. However, in some cases, I noticed men were straightforward, honest, and direct, and no one was talking about them. And no one was citing it as an issue. In fact, it was the opposite. They were being commended, and in some cases, promoted. So I encourage folks when, and this is just one example, and I'm not saying that every autistic woman comes across in the same way as as a man does. It's, It's not fair to women. It's not fair to men. I'm just talking about suspending our judgments when it comes to preconceived ideas and some stereotypes around gender. So put it through a filter of, I'm thinking this way. I'm thinking this way about Wanda or Kelly or, you know, Am I thinking this way about Bill or about Tom or about James or about Jason? And that can really help as well in terms of getting away from from stereotypes and judgments and yeah, being more inclusive. Well, it strikes me as a challenge in the sense that nobody's really announcing that they have neurodiversity. So when you're in a work setting and somebody is being direct or you know, having a different idea of how to approach a solution, like a problem and has a different solution. It's not the first thing people think of is to say, hmm, I wonder if that person is neurodiverse. You know, they might, their first no. reaction would be like that person's thinking, you know, maybe they're trying to take over the, the room or maybe they're thinking they have a big ego or, you know, maybe presenting in another way that's not in a normal brain, if I can say that for a second, and I don't mean to be in any way just trying to differentiate and, you know, Mm -hmm. other people's way of being day to day, people would see it in that lens. Mm -hmm. So how do you differentiate? Like, I mean, I think what it does is it just allows for that respectful workplace environment where everyone's treated with that suspending judgment, with empathy, with communications that are seeking to understand first. And then we're all, you know, able to communicate more effectively, whether you're neurodiverse or not. Yes, that's right. And something that is really, really unfortunate, in some cases, it's horrific. However, we can focus on the reality of where we are, where we need to go. So for instance, Black community members have spoken about this openly. Indigenous leaders have spoken about this openly. LGBTQ2 plus members of various religious groups. So what they've talked about is the bias and the stereotypes that they faced. And along with that, they've talked about associated trauma because they've experienced such deep discrimination. And so this rings true for the neurodiverse population as well. So what has happened in some cases, and this definitely happened to me, is because I experienced negative stereotypes and biases and discrimination, and I was traumatized by that, sometimes I was on the defensive and I didn't present the best because of how I've been treated in the past. So we are looking at our workplaces right across the board in terms of 
what assumptions have we made and what assumptions do we continue to make about all kinds of underrepresented groups? And so suspending judgment and coming from a place of compassion and empathy, what I always say, yes, it benefits the neurodiverse population. It benefits all kinds of people. Um, even consider in our workplace, we're becoming much more aware of those who've experienced domestic violence at home and the effects that it's having in our workplaces. Veterans, those have, who have served in conflicts and perhaps have been traumatized, you know, how they're presenting in our workplaces. Again, they're members of another underrepresented group. A lot of what benefits neurodiverse benefits other people. It's a matter of, will we do it? It's good for everyone. Will we do it? Yeah, very interesting. So I'm just thinking through in a day-to-day practice, somebody who, you know, I guess if you're having a, a workplace environment where neurodiversity is understood to be an unseen disability, it's spoken about, there's awareness about it, there's acceptance, and there's understanding. I think that having that as part of the workplace culture awareness would allow for conversations in general to be the volume to turn down on the animosity that may come from conflict, because it would allow people to say, you know what, I understand that this is potentially going on. You're not going to go over to Bob and say, Bob, I think you're neurodiverse. You should check into it. You're going to say to yourself, you know what, I have to remember that some people are and they haven't self-identified and I need to remember that this could be at play and and operate accordingly. And I think having that sort of collective awareness or acceptance as an organization that they've onboarded that way of thinking, I think creates that reduced conflict that could have come had it not been there. <laughs> am, I, am I being clear? I feel like I'm- Yes. Bit, uh, I'm- no, you, you are, you're bang on. Okay. So um, a couple things. Um, yes. So consider, you know, I feel Bob's difficult. Maybe there's all kinds of things happening with Bob that I don't see and I'm not aware of. So number one, you're bang on there. And that is definitely true. The other thing is if neurodiversity crosses about 15% of the population, and we have reason to believe that although that's the number that we work with right now as an approximate, it's low. Because under diagnosis persists right across the spectrum, look at me. I didn't know until a month before my 47th birthday. There's lots of wonders out there. So what I'm getting at is... Is it 15 of Canada? 15% in Canada? Worldwide. Worldwide. Okay. Worldwide. Yeah. So people are already working with individuals who are neurodiverse. We have reason to believe. Like it's never a a perfect overlay. You can't go into any one organization and say, okay, so 15%. However... Depending on the size of the organization, there's good reason to believe there are neurodiverse people there. Maybe they have diagnosis, maybe they don't. Maybe they have diagnosis and they haven't disclosed because of the stigma. Or maybe they're like me. They're wand at 40 without a diagnosis. So there's a number of things to take into account. I'll offer you this. I spoke recently with a group and I, I do speak quite a bit and there's a lot of interest in my story and I feel very grateful for that because I want to help create a smoother path for others. And there's a woman who is Métis and she said, Wanda, so much of you, what you've said, I feel resonates with me. Like, I feel like I've really connected with you. Well, you could be working with someone who's Métis and you don't know. She's not visibly different. 
in being Métis than, than perhaps you are as a, as a Caucasian woman. Yet perhaps she has suffered huge trauma because of the horrible discrimination that Indigenous peoples, including Métis, have experienced. So that's what I mean about suspending judgments. Oh, yeah. And I, I feel that goes across. The, yeah. And I think that goes beyond uh, for everybody. I mean, people look at could look at me and say, oh, she looks like she's had an easy life and da da da. No, <laughs> haven't. You know, everybody has a story. And I think everybody needs to, you know, be aware of that. It's not like a certain sect. I mean, obviously, some parts have had even harder challenges to overcome, but everybody has a story. And I think if we come to connect with each other, with that disposition, then we have greater opportunity for connection. And I think that greater, like we've been talking about, greater understanding of each other that allows for uh, for a better work environment. That's right. And I love that you said connection, because what we've learned is that when we come from a place of, I want to connect, I want to find out what we have in common. I want to find out, and you also use the word bridge, what bridges us together, as opposed to what divides us. So many great things can happen. And we've heard the story about, you know, xenophobia and immediately this feeling of this person's different. I can see this person as different. So maybe there are visible differences due to race or ethnicity, religion, for whatever reason, I can see that they're different. And so right away, there's a divide. And then you hear stories, people saying, and then I started talking to the person and we realized we had so much in common. In fact, even though maybe they're originally from a country that's far, far away, we actually found out that we have as much in common as the person living in the house next door to me. But if I hadn't taken the time to chat and be open-minded and get to know and to spend my judgment, I wouldn't have come to this place. And we hear so many stories like that. If we could just practice it more. I know, being curious. I think people have almost difference fatigue. They're like, oh my God, if I have to deal with somebody different than me, then it means I have to work at it. That means I have to learn something and I don't have time for that. Like it can get so silly and pragmatic in their minds. I think that they just sort of say, oh, forget it. I'd rather work with somebody who's more like me. And uh, it's not as much work, right? But I think there's more to be gained through taking that curious foot approach forward and saying, hey, you know, what, just asking questions and finding that common ground. Mm-hmm. And through those, even those little things that you can have as common ground uh, together, that that starts you on a new relationship that you wouldn't have otherwise had, right? So that's what's cool. Absolutely. Well, Wanda, is there anything else you would like to share with our listeners before we close off today? Because I've been learning so much from you today. So I just want to make sure I've given you the chance to say anything else that you think our audience would would benefit from. That as we try to create more inclusive, diverse, and equitable environments, also try to make them more accessible. And so when you hear about DEI and IDE programs and approaches, considering adding an A for accessibility. And that is for a number of reasons, including this disabled population, which is 1.2 billion worldwide. And the estimates are that approximately 20 to 22% of the Canadian population has a disability. The disability population is growing for a number of reasons, including the aging population because of increased diagnosis. Look at me. So for a number of reasons, and we're gaining agency and we're gaining our voices 
and we are becoming more self-aware. So some say that actually the 2020s belong to disability, we'll see, but we are seeing more happening. And so if folks could consider that, A, if they could consider IDEA, and in terms of workplace inclusion, if they could consider trying to help change in any way that unemployment or underemployment rate, it will go a long way. It will create positive changes for everyone. And disability really drives innovation. And so many things that we have, we have because a disabled person said, I need something different. Or an advocate for a disabled person said, we need something different. When we think about automatic doors, when we think about lower sidewalks, even when we think about texting and and iPhones, you can trace that back to a need around disability. So we need disability to be part of conversations and anything any of our listeners could do to help would be greatly appreciated. That's excellent. I love that idea of the accessibility. I saw that recently on, I don't know, somewhere on my phone, (laughs) came across my screen and I thought, oh, here we go. It's another extra added piece that I hadn't thought of. So it was interesting to see that. Can you let our listeners know where they can find you? if they want to get in touch. Yes. Well, on my website, www.libertyco.ca, there is a contact form there for anyone who wants to enter their information and get in touch. My email is also on my website so people can reach out to me directly. I do have a reputation of spending some time on LinkedIn. I say that tongue in cheek because I am on LinkedIn a lot. So please reach out to me there. That is my platform of choice. And my website and my email are also listed on my LinkedIn account. I love when people react to comment, whether it's to agree or disagree or say they don't know. I'm also on Instagram. I don't post a lot on Instagram, but I do react to content on Instagram. So I hope I will hear from some people as an outcome of this call. Great. Well, thanks very much, Wanda. It's been wonderful having you here today. And I hope you have a fantastic 2022. Thanks very much. Same to you, Kelly. Gender, diversity, and inclusion are crucial to the advancement of a thriving and resilient forest sector. As we continue to grow and change, we all have a role to play in making our sector a place where everyone has the support they need to succeed and thrive. For more information on how you can take action and help make a difference, follow Free to Grow in Forestry on social media or visit us at www.freetogrowinforestry.ca. And if you have a story you think should be heard about an experience you have had or what you'd like to see happen in the Canadian forest sector workforce, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at freetogrowinforestry at cif-ifc.org. Together, we can move forestry forward.